All right. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. It's a classic. And it touches us in many ways. But let me ask you a question. Is, the, is that the experience that you have? Is that the experience that you understand? Can you say that the longer you serve him, the sweeter it, he grows? We have a lot of ways of expressing ourselves in our language today. English language is a difficult language in some ways. One of the things that's unique about our language is that we have something called the oxymoron. Now, I'm not talking about one of the linebackers in the Panthers uh, uh, team there. An oxymoron. Somebody's going, what do you mean by that? You'll get it when you're driving home. Oh, that was good. <laughs> things like jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp, oxymoron. Or how about military intelligence? Some who've been in there know what I'm talking about. Or government help. There's an oxymoron for the day. Or my favorite, smartphone. If my phone is so smart, why is it always getting lost? <laughs> smartphone. All these oxymorons. And they're, they're, they're descriptive and they're, and they're clever. But you know there's one phrase that's not meant to be an oxymoron. It's not meant to be one of those. But unfortunately, sometimes it becomes one. And that is joyful Christian. Joyful Christian. Because more often than not, when you experience somebody who claims to be a Christian, sometimes you don't see a great deal of joyfulness going on. I'm amazed at how often if we go out to eat, we see a family gather at a table and they pray for their meal. And that's great. Isn't that great to see that? Isn't that wonderful to see that? I love to see that. It's really encouraging that people aren't afraid to do that in public. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I was part of a Christian singing group. And one night we gathered all at a pizza hut and a couple of the parents came, and my buddy's dad was there. He was a deacon in our church. And we gathered at the table to have our pizza, and our pizza was served. And it was time to pray over the pizza, but everybody was looking real sheepish, like, who's going to pray? Who's going to ask the blessing? So the, man's, the guy's dad stood up, my buddy's dad stood up, and he said at the top of his lungs, standing in the middle of Pizza Hut, Lord, I thank you for this wonderful pizza. And I pray that you'll bless it despite the cowardice of those at this table to pray for it. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, you talk about your dad embarrassing you in public. But you know what else is more embarrassing? When I see a family pray before a meal, and then throughout the service and the meal, the service to the family, the waitress or the waiter or the server is griped at, grouched at, and given a hard time by that same Christian family. It's amazing how many of God's people walk around wearing cross earrings and fish necklaces and, and church t-shirts or Christian t-shirts and they go to the store or they go to the, the, the restaurant and they give the employees and the, employee and the employers and all the ser servers there a hard time. How can people oftentimes look at us and see joyful Christian? 
Or how about when they come into a church or they come into a, a place of worship of where God's people are gathered and they hear fussing, feuding, and arguing? Sometimes we have joy on the outside but not on the inside and sometimes we don't even display that joy on the outside. Over the next several weeks we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians and we're going to be talking about joy. We're going to be talking about joy. Now, people have a misunderstanding about what joy is. Joy, many people think joy means that you're happy all the time. That you skip and dance and bounce all through life and everything is puppy dogs and fresh bread and roses. And that's joy. Or they think that when things are going well in my life, therefore I am joyful. But let me say this at the top, and I'll say it again several times over the, last, over the next few weeks rather. Happiness and joy are two different things. When we talk about happiness, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about puppy dogs and, and fresh break bread and flowers blooming and, and spring springing. And when things go our way, we're happy about it. Happiness depends upon what's happening. Can I tell you something? God never promised us happiness all the time. Because when things are going well, listen, we're happy about it, aren't we? We're happy if we get a raise. We're happy if we have a good meal. We're happy if we enjoy a program or a song. We're happy. Happiness is great. I like being happy. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes life hands us other things. Bad report from our doctor. Argument with our husband or wife. Difficulty with our kids, money problems, loss of a job. It doesn't make us happy. Sometimes life is not happy. Sometimes life is difficult. It's a struggle. So happiness depends upon what's happening. If you're looking for happiness, you're on a roller coaster ride. And I don't have to tell you that. You know, it's like when you buy a new car. You get the new car. What's the first thing you notice when you get in the new car? The new car smell. Isn't that amazing? You get in there and it smells good. And it's all clean. And you get in your car and you're driving around. You got a big grin on your face. And the first thing you want to do is go home and show it to your family. And you say, come on, everybody get in the car and let's go for a ride. Where do you want to go? Hey, Dad, let's go to McDonald's. <laughs> right away, you should know that's not a good idea. Because as soon as you go through the drive-thru, Junior's in the back seat eating his french fries, and you know three or four of them are going to stay in that car for the next nine years. And already the new car smell is ruined with french fry smell, which is not in and of itself a bad smell. But it's not new car smell. See, things change. One minute you're up and you're happy, the next minute you're down. What I want to share with you over the next few weeks is joy. Joy is something that can be depending upon our attitude and our relationship and fellowship with God, a constant. You see, joy doesn't depend upon what's happening outside. Joy depends upon what has happened inside. Joy depends upon what God has done for us inside. You see, joy is that sense of fullness, that sense of purposefulness, that sense of completeness. 
and that sense of peace that comes knowing that you are in a right relationship and if you're walking with him, a right fellowship with Almighty God. Even if things go wrong in your life, and they will, you could still have a sense of that joy because you're still connected and, and, and focused upon God. Because God becomes your joy. Just like in Jeremiah chapter 17, where Jeremiah said, God is not only something that uh, does not only give me hope, rather, but God is my hope. Other titles of God, Jehovah Rapha, God is my provider. Jehovah, Jire, or Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. Jehovah Rapha, God is my healer. God is my joy. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to have that joy as a believer, how to experience that joy, how to hang on to that joy. Even if the bottom falls out in your life, you can still have the joy of the Lord. We're going to look at the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is an interesting book. Because it was written later in Paul's ministry, and Paul was imprisoned in Rome. He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He had broken no real laws. He had done no one any evil. He had done nothing criminally wrong. All that he had done was he had preached the love and grace of Almighty God in Christ. And because of the authorities and their jealousy, because of their political issues, they threw him in prison and he was under house arrest. The book of Acts ends with this house arrest in the city of Rome. He could not leave. He could not go anywhere. He always had a guard with him. Everything in his life was curtailed. Everything in his life was limited. For over two years, he was imprisoned. Now, I don't know how you would feel if you were in prison. I don't know how you would feel if you had suddenly been imprisoned and you hadn't done anything really wrong. And you could not have liberty. You could not do what you wanted to do, go where you wanted to go, even, even stretch your legs too much. You couldn't do that. I wonder how that would shape your attitude. I know I would have a difficulty with that. But nonetheless, out of this difficult circumstance, Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi, the first church of Europe. The first church in Europe. And Paul writes this letter to Philippi because he hears they've been having issues. They've been having contentions. Also, he wanted to thank them, as we'll see, for a gift that they had given him and support they had provided for him. But I want you to know as we go through the book of Philippians over the next few weeks that Paul spends most of the time celebrating Jesus Christ and encouraging the people in Philippi. You would think it would be the other way around. You would think people would be having to send Paul cards and Paul letters encouraging him. Oh, Paul, we're sorry you're in prison. Oh, my goodness, Paul, we're praying for you. Paul, we're going to be, you know, you'd think it would be the other way around. It should be a letter from the Philippians to Paul. But Paul was filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. He was flooded with the joy of the Lord because Paul had a singular life, a singular focus. And we're going to see as we open the book of Philippians, literally the spirit of joy set free. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that, Lord, because we were so sinful, broken, and lost, 
Father, you came and you paid the debt that we could never pay. You paid a debt that we owed, but you did not. Father, through the death of Jesus on the cross, you have set us free. We are saved through faith in him. Father, he was buried, rose again from the dead. And because he rose, we know that one day, no matter what happens here, we will also rise. And Father, we celebrate that. Father, if nothing else in our life goes well, and if we have nothing else that others have, and Lord, if we have to struggle, fight, and scratch, Father, if we know Jesus Christ, we thank you for that. And we can have joy in knowing that when all this stuff is over, we are with you. And while this stuff is going on, we can walk with you and you will carry us along. Father, may you set free joy among your people today through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Billy Graham tells us about joy when he said, Joy cannot be pursued. Happiness can be pursued. And that's what the American people and most of the world are, we're, we're involved in. We're chasing happiness. Because everybody wants to be happy. And understand this. Happiness isn't a bad thing. I like to be happy. I like to sit down to a good meal. I like to watch a, a good show. I like to be around good friends. I like to be happy. Happiness is something we pursue. And sometimes happiness is quite elusive. Sometimes we spend money, hours, years, struggles to pursue it, and we never get it because happiness is different and set differently for each person. We put our happinesses, happinesses in wrong things. If we marry this person or that person, that'll make us happy, and then we find out they're not perfect either. If I get this raise, we become happy until we realize somebody is making a little more. And you know where I'm going with that. Oh, we may get something and we may be happy for a moment, but happiness is fleeting. Billy Graham said, joy cannot be pursued. Happiness can. Joy cannot because it comes from within. Remember, happiness comes from outside. But joy comes from within. It is a state of being. It does not depend on circumstances. Did you hear that? But triumphs over circumstances. As we dive into the book of Philippians, Paul's circumstances are anything but ideal. He's imprisoned, for heaven's sake. Literally, for heaven's sake. He goes on to say, joy produces a gentleness of spirit and a magnetic personality. How is it a magnetic personality? Because it draws people to you as you're drawn to Christ. Paul was imprisoned. Paul was at the point where he could not seek happiness as we understand it, and as we know it, and as we want it. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is imprisoning your joy today? You say, Pastor, I understand Christians are supposed to be joyful, but I, I'm not. Because? Because I had a bad report from a doctor. Maybe your health issues are imprisoning your joy. Pastor, you don't know what's going on in my household. You don't know the trouble I'm having with my son or my daughter or my mom and my dad. I can't seem to have joy because this is imprisoning that. Pastor, I can't pay my bills on time. I can't be joyful because every time I turn around, there's a call from a creditor. I mean, I can sit here and do this all day. What is, what is imprisoning your joy? What is holding you back? What is it that you think you can't have joy because it's in your life? 
Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that through Jesus Christ, no matter what is in your life, your joy can be set free. And you and I can experience joy. We can experience what Paul is talking about. But in order for this to happen, we need to understand something. Joy is more of the focus of the heart and mind than it is a pursuit of something. Joy is about what we're looking at and whom we're looking to. And so as we look at this aspect of joy, we're going to take an overview this morning of the book of Philippians before we delve into it in detail. And I want you to keep one word in mind this morning. And that word is singular. Singular. It's another word which means focusing on one thing. With one plan, one idea, one hope, one goal. We're going to see that Paul was a singular individual. And he was. That's why 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. That's why God used him to take the gospel to the Gentile world. That's why God used him to defend the faith. Because Paul was a singular individual. And even imprisoned and shackled and held back by the world, Paul's singular spirit, his joyful spirit was still set free. We're going to start, first of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. I want you to notice, first of all, as we look at Paul, Paul, even though he was in prison, he was a singular man. He didn't sit there and say, oh, woe is me, I am in prison. Or, woe, oh, woe is me, I can't see the... He wasn't all scattered. He was focused. And he wasn't focused on his circumstances. He was focused on Almighty God. In Philippians chapter 1, we see this as we, as we look at this. We see Paul, first of all, had a singular life. Paul had been persecuting Christianity before he was saved. He was a Pharisee. He hated Christianity because it, it offended his, his Judaism. But Jesus Christ came and appeared to him. And Paul received Christ as Savior. And then Paul was then focused not on destroying the church and standing for Judaism. Paul was focused on Jesus Christ. Look what he says. He's writing from prison. All the while remember this. And he says in verse 21 of chapter 1. Paul says, for to me... Look at this. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Imagine if you were in Paul's circumstances. What would, what would life be to you? If you were locked up in prison, would life be to me, life is getting out of the clink. Life to me would be getting out of jail. Or maybe you're struggling with a health issue. Life to me would be getting cured or healed. Life to me would be having tranquility in my home. Life to me would be having a better paycheck. But notice what Paul, and, and he's, not some, he's not some guy sitting in an ivory tower ruminating and philosophizing. He's sitting in prison for the gospel and he still says, for to me, to live is Christ. And notice this, and to die is gain. Now we know that Paul was released from this imprisonment. He was imprisoned later, and then he was martyred and executed. But he didn't know if he was going to live or die at this point. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a good thing. He had a singular life. Look what he says in verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. 
for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful to you. See, the only choice that Paul was wondering about was whether he was going to be able to live for Christ or to die for Christ. But you see what the common denominator in there is both? It's Christ. His whole thing was, I'm going to live for Christ. And, I'll, and there'll be fruit to, for my labor, and I'm doing this for you. But to die is gain. If I die, I'll die. And that's far better. He, he wanted to be in heaven. He longed for heaven. Who wouldn't? But either way it played out, notice it was a singular life focused on what? Jesus Christ. On who? The Son of God. We struggle often. I struggle often. Because I get my eyes averted from my Savior and get them on myself. And I'm going to tell you, it's easy to do. You know, when you go for a routine exam and the doctor tells you the word cancer, maybe I know some of you and many of you have heard that already, and you know how hard it is. And that, boy, if that's not a gaze averter, I don't know what is. But I thank God that he's given me an alternative to focus on. He's asked me to focus on Christ, and that's what I, I'm trying to do. Do I, do I do it all the time? I, I struggle. But bless God, if I can, I'm going to find all the joy in Christ I can. And I have to come to the conclusion that no matter what goes on in my life, for to me to live is Christ. This is, whatever's happening to me, whatever's happening to you is happening because God has allowed it. And believe it or not, even if it's cancer, marital problems, money problems, people, whatever it is, job if he's allowed it, he's got good reasons for it. And the key is to stay focused on Jesus Christ. Paul was a man, a singular man. And the reason why he could experience joy is because he had a singular life. His life was surrendered to and given over to Jesus Christ. I like what uh, St. Augustine, early church father. I love the early church fathers. You know, we're so caught up in, in, the, in the modern world, we forget of the wisdom of the ages that has come down to us over the past 2,000 years from godly men and women St. Augustine of Hippo in North Africa had this to say. He said, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Yes, life is tough. Yes, life is a struggle. Augustine faced struggles and difficulties. But he said, as a believer, we should be an alleluia or hallelujah from head to foot. Why? Because if nothing else, we have heaven. If nothing else, we have God. If nothing else, we have purpose. And we have hope. We have hope. And through God and with God, we can have peace. Bless God, we should be an alleluia from head to toe. Paul was a singular man with a singular life. And what caused him to be that way was because he had a singular mind. He had a focused mind. Two words used in the book of Philippians more than any other. The words joy, which is also translated in a couple places as rejoicing, rejoice. Glad. This is from a man in prison. He's writing to encourage people to be joyful and to be glad, speaking of his joyfulness and gladness, calling them to rejoice. But also the word mind. 
is used many times in the book of Philippians. Because as one great speaker said, our attitude will determine our latitude. I know that sounds trite. But when we think of our attitude, we're thinking of the inclination of our heart and mind. What to us is important? What to us is the reason to get up in the morning? What to us is the reason to go out in the cold? What is the purpose? And we need to focus our minds. Paul said in Romans chapters 1 and 2, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He said, he talks about, about becoming a living sacrifice. Asking God to transform him by the renewing of his mind. Paul had a singular mind. Go to chapter 2 of Philippians. Look at verse uh, 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Look at what Paul says. This was his mindset. And he wanted to communicate this to the Philippians and God wanted to, through him, communicate it to us. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, if you're going to imitate somebody's thinking pattern, if you're going to imitate somebody's focus, then even Paul, he doesn't say, do what I do. He says, look, at, I'm pointing you to Jesus. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. But he didn't see that as being something he had to grasp onto and hang onto. That's what the word robbery should better be translated. He didn't think his divinity and his, and his place in the Godhead should be something he should hang onto or grasp. He goes on to say, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, a, core, a, a likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ was singular minded. His, his singular mind was to obey the Father. His Father's will was that he would come and take on flesh and live a life among, among humanity. Struggling with their struggles, dealing with what they deal with, tempted as they are tempted, yet without sin. And then finally, humbling himself as a man and dying on the cross, a cruel and horrible death, singular minded. And what happened? It says, it goes on to say in verse 9, therefore God also highly exalted him. And, have given, and has given him the name which is above every name, that at the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ was singularly minded. And Paul said, let that mindset be your mindset. That was what Paul's mindset was because Paul was allowing himself to be humbled and humiliated. Paul didn't deserve to be in prison. Paul didn't deserve the heartache and the hardships he was experiencing. Paul could have sat in Jerusalem as a robed Pharisee and enjoyed the prestige of that office for the rest of his life. He could have died in creature comforts. But Paul took on the mindset of Jesus Christ and he became singularly focused on him. And if you and I are going to experience the joy that God wants us to, to, to experience, 
then like Paul, like Christ, we must be singularly minded. But our minds are divided everywhere. Our minds are divided uh, concerning worrying about our jobs, uh, focused on politics. I think one of the biggest killers of singular mindedness is social media. Because we're so focused on what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is thinking. Man, it's amazing how we can keep track of our own lives. I've gotten to the point where I've just kind of backed away from some of it, and I just I try to put encouraging things out, things that encourage me. But I'll tell you, sometimes we get so caught up in everybody else's business that, man, we just can't focus. God is encouraging us to be single-minded people, and what should be our singular focus? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus Christ, life, his ministry, and his mission. Paul said that should be our mind. If we want to experience the joy of the Lord, that's where it comes from. That focus of the internal person, the internal heart and mind on Jesus. On Jesus. Another great early church philosopher, Thomas Aquinas, who lived in the 13th century. He said the soul is like an uninhabited world that comes to life only when God lays his head against us. Boy, isn't that a beautiful picture. We're just lost, we're wandering, we're confused, but when we draw close to God, God draws close to us. And what a beautiful picture of his laying his head against us. You know, when we read the word and focus on that, that's what's going on. God wants to share his mind and his heart. And he wants that to be our focus. Everything else is just stuff. Everything else is periphery. Paul was a singular man with a singular life. It was Christ. He had a singular mind. He was focused on Christ and his mission. And as such, he had a singular goal. Go to chapter 3. Look at verse 12. We're just doing an overview this morning. Chapter 3. Paul had a singular goal in his life. Now, if, if you and I, again, were in his position, our goal would be to get out of jail. I play Monopoly. I like to play Monopoly. Nobody likes to play Monopoly with me because I'm serious when I play Monopoly. I don't understand the whole idea of playing a game that you're not going to win. I don't want a trophy for participation. I want to beat you. I love you. It's just a game, though. I will still be your friend. I will still go eat dinner with you and if you're buying, and I will still do all those things. But when I play Monopoly, and I hate going to jail, in Monopoly. I hate that. Go to jail. And I sit there and I brood until I can get that get out of jail free card. I don't care about the hotels. I don't care about the orange and green money. I want to get out of jail. Paul, this is, and that's just a game. We just had the Super Bowl. Do you know how angry people got over the Super Bowl? How mad? Do you know Super Bowl rivalries break up families, cause riots in cities? Do you know how patently ridiculous that is? It is just a game. 
Football is nothing but a bunch of millionaires chasing a pigskin around a field. And we turn it into, my goodness, I want my team to win. Listen, what should be the goal in our life? Well, I need to make a lot of money. I have a goal of retiring very comfortable. I have a goal of getting this degree. I have a goal of marrying this person. And all those are worthy goals. And there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong. But what is your ultimate life goal? What do all of these things do? And what should they go toward? Paul has a goal. What is your goal this morning? What is your ultimate goal? Look what Paul said. Chapter 3, verse 12. He said, not that I have already attained. He's talking about, he's talking about that, that, that perfection that will come one day and that maturity that will come one day in Christ and ultimately in heaven. He says in verse 12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected or matured. He said, but I press on. I haven't got there yet, Paul said. I'm not perfect yet. I'm still maturing in this earth and I'm not going to reach ultimate maturity and completeness until I get to heaven. He said, but I press on that I may hold that I may rather lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on for me. In other words, he wanted what Jesus wanted for him. It wasn't even about what Paul wanted. All that Paul wanted was what Jesus wanted for him. Salvation, peace. He already had salvation, but he was trying to lay hold of the blessings of it, the joy of it, the peace of it. See, we talk about, oh, one day when I get to heaven. Oh, one day when I'll be in eternal life. Well, that's one day. What about now? What about now? God has given us eternal life now. God has given us wonderful promises now. God has given us a purpose, a vision, and a hope now. That's what Paul was wanting to lay hold on. And he wanted to grow and, and enrich his life in Christ. And this is the key passages, these two. He says, brethren, verse 13... I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Did you mark that? If it's your Bible, mark it. But one thing I do. He had a singular goal. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark, toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. The old King James says the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's reason for living Paul's purpose for getting up in the morning. Paul's purpose for going out. Paul's purpose for exer exerting energy was to reach for Jesus Christ. To live for Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him. His goal was to attain that maturity spiritually in this life as he became more like Christ. Knowing that one day he'll attain maturity in heaven through Christ. His goal in life was Jesus Christ. You know, we might have little, little goals and little sub-goals, a college degree, a marriage, uh, maybe a financial issue. All of those things are worthy goals. They're not bad goals. But are they there to supplement that goal of giving honor to Christ? Or do they get in the way of trying to make Him the plan for your life? Paul had a singular goal. Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom and her family during World War II when she was a young lady hid Jews in their home from the Nazis. I encourage you to read the book, The Hiding Place, if you've never read it. 
Now, parts of it, are, they're very difficult to get through because, because of the whole nature of the, uh, of the story. But for a few years, they were able to hide Jews in Holland from the Nazis. Her father was a watchmaker, and they had a watchmaking shop. And they had secret panels, and they had a little secret area where Jews can go and hide. Well, after a while, somebody tipped off the uh, Gestapo, and they found them. And Corey and her family had to be dispersed to concentration camps in Germany. Corey lost her family. Her sister died when they were in the same uh, camp. Corey, through the work of God, was released and survived. And she spent the rest of her life glorifying God, even from the midst of her sorrow and struggle. It's a wonderful story. It's a difficult story. The most amazing thing to me was one day, years after she had been confined, that she was in a restaurant in Europe and she came across one of the guards in her camp that had abused her and her sister. And she said, my first reaction was to kill him. But she said, Jesus Christ overcame me and I went up and talked to him and forgave him. It's a fascinating lady. And she said this about goals. When we are powerless to do a thing, it is a great joy that we can come and step inside the ability of Jesus. When we need a goal in life and we seem like we can't get it, then we step into Jesus Christ. If it is a goal He wants us to have, He'll work it out in us and through us. And if it's not, we didn't need it anyway. But we focus on Him. He must be the goal of our life. He was the goal of her life. So Paul, a singular man, had a singular life because his singular mind was focused on Christ. He had a singular goal, and that was to please and honor Jesus Christ, to glorify Him in his life, to serve Him no matter what. And all of that brought Paul a singular joy. A singular joy. As we finish this morning, verse chapter 4. In Philippians, they were having difficulty. There were two ladies that were having a struggle. And it was causing the church a lot of grief. Two ladies who are very prominent, probably leaders in the church. And Paul was writing them to encourage them to look, you need to get along. You need to work it out. And then he says this. Now, again, this is a man in prison. This is a man incarcerated, a place that no one in this room would want to be in. And in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Could you say that in prison? Somebody writes you a letter, a family or friend writes you a letter. Hey, I'm sorry you're in jail. Man, I had some problems. My, uh, my, my job dropped out from under me and, and I'm really having difficulty. I don't know, the average person in prison might say, well, great, big deal, you're, you can go get a job. I'm in jail. You're better off than I am. You know, Paul didn't do that. Because Paul wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on Jesus. It's amazing. And so he tells these people, look, rejoice. In the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. He says in verse 5, let, our, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He says in verse 7, In prison, chained to a guard, be anxious for nothing. And I'm going to tell you, over the last few months, this has been my life verse right here. This and Jeremiah 17 and Proverbs chapter uh, 3, verses 5 and 6, these have been the verses that I constantly go back to to find strength in God. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
Let your requests be made known to God. And here, verse 7. Mark it if it's yours. If it's not, mark it anyway. Somebody else needs to see it. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Stop there just for a minute. You might be dealing with difficulty right now. And you don't understand why. I don't understand why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. Paul probably didn't. I'm in jail. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't committed any crimes. There might be things going on in your life you just can't get. You don't understand why it's happening. And you will wear yourself out trying to figure it out. There are things that happen in our lives, good and bad, that happen that we may not understand until we get to, the, to heaven to be with the Lord. I think one of the first words we're going to say when we get to heaven is, Ah! We're going to finally get it. Paul said, I'm not going to spend my time... Hey, don't spend your time focused on trying to figure stuff out. He says, just re rejoice. He said, let your requests be made known unto God. Be anxious for nothing. And the peace of God, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. Because no matter what's going on in my life, if I'm a believer, if I'm a child of God, He's still my Father. I'm still His child. I know He loves me because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be okay. One way or another. I'm going to be alright. I'm going to get through it. So I don't understand, and I don't need to understand. Just God, I'm going to hang on to you. You are my joy. You are my hope. You are my physician. You are my provider. You are my peace. And you are always with me. He says the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Joy. Even when life is falling down around you, you have joy because, man, I'm, I'm in Christ. It's going to be all right. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. He had a singular joy for a man in prison not knowing what was going to happen the next day. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in the 19th century, said to rejoice in temporal comforts is dangerous. To rejoice in self is foolish. To rejoice in sin is fatal. But to rejoice in God is heavenly. And Elizabeth Elliot, the dear saint of God whose husband was killed on a missionary journey. We all know that story. She said this, restlessness and impatience of restlessness rather and impatience change nothing except our peace and joy. We get so caught up, bothered and worried and anxious about this thing or that act, action or that event or this person. And you know what? All of that restlessness, all of that anxiety, that's what Paul was trying to say. Don't be anxious for anything. It doesn't change anything. It only makes it worse. Peace does not dwell in outward things, but in the heart prepared to wait trustfully and quietly on Him who has all things safely in His hands. That's joy. When we can get to that place, Despite our circumstances, that's when joy is set free. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, yes, you live in a broken, fallen world where stuff happens. Sometimes God lets stuff happen to you because He wants to show you something, teach you something, or do something in your life. 
Sometimes let God lets stuff happen in your life because of sin. He's trying to get our attention, to get our eyes back on Him again. Sometimes stuff happens just because we live in a world where stuff happens. But as long as we sit, fret, worry, focus, and, and, and get ourselves bent out of shape over it, our joy is going to be imprisoned in that. But it is not until we cast our full confidence in Christ and the love of God and the promises of God that we will see the peace that passes all understanding and we will enjoy the glory of God. One last passage in Philippians as we finish. But pastor, if I let go of all of that worry and concern, what's going to happen to me? Listen, Paul wasn't worried about that. While Paul was struggling in prison, God was using the church at Philippi and other churches to supply him. And God was providing for him and God took care of him. And he told the Philippians this. He said in Philippians 4 verse 19, he said, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is going to take care of us. That doesn't mean God is going to make us rich. That doesn't necessarily mean God is always going to heal us. That doesn't necessarily mean God is always going to deliver us from the problem that we're facing. But it does mean that God is going to get us through it. God is going to take us through it. And as believers, one way or another, we're going to win. Do we believe that? He said, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The joy of the Lord is tangible and real. The joy of the Lord is something that you and I can experience, that we can rest in. And not only that, but as it imbues us within, it begins to shine without and I'll tell you, it's also, in a sense, apologetic. At least it proves to others around you, your faith is real. It's also evangelistic. Because somebody else struggling might see you struggling with something. Watch how you suffer. Watch how you endure. Watch how you enjoy the good things and the bad. And see Jesus Christ in you. See you hanging on to something that transcends what's going on. See you clinging to someone that they might not be able to see, but you know in your heart and your mind that through faith you can see. And you might be an encouragement to somebody. You might even bring somebody to Jesus Christ. That's the joy. That's the goal. So God, through Paul, is going to challenge us to be singular people. We've already seen in 1 Peter, that we are a unique people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We need to be singular people of God with a singular life, living it for Him. It's Christ. It's not even me, it's Him. To live as Christ, to die as gain. We need to be singularly minded. Let this mind be all in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Letting go of self, humbling self, so that God might be glorified. We need to have a singular goal. I press toward the mark. No matter what's going on, I forget what happened in the past. I'm going to press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we need to have a singular joy. Rejoice always, always. And again, I say, rejoice. Through Jesus Christ, 
you can do that. If you know Jesus Christ, the riches of that joy is available to you if you'll surrender to him and make him the singular focus of your life. If you've never trusted Jesus, God loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you everlasting life. The Bible tells us that you can know that you're going to heaven. 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. And through faith in Christ, you can know you're going to heaven. Not because you're better than anybody else or more religious. None of that matters. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. You have to cast your full faith and confidence in Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again. Confess your sin to him. Own the fact that you're a sinner and come and lay it at his feet. Cast your full dependence and life upon him and God will save you. And then if you know him, decide today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till your circumstances change. Well, I'll do that when this happens. I'll do that when I get... No, no, do it now. And decide today, I'm going to live a singular life. I'm going to be a, a singular person. I'm going to have a singular mind, a singular goal, so that I might enjoy a singular joy. It's there. Do you want it? God invites you to come. Let's stand as we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, I encourage you. I beg you to trust Him this morning. Place your faith and confidence in Him today. Don't try to earn heaven. You can't do it. Coming to church today isn't getting you to heaven. It is casting your full confidence in Jesus. That's what saves. Trust Him this morning if you've never done that. If you do know Jesus, then God is inviting you to this morning to come. God is inviting you to make your decision, to make your decision as a believer, to be a singular child of God, to make your focus in life Him. And everything else that you choose goes to glorify Him. Do we do that? Will we do that? What is your decision? It's up to you. God offers it. You come and receive that also and decide today. And, you, and it's not just a decision today. It has to come every day. You have to have a reason to get up, and that reason should be Jesus. We're going to pray. Then as we pray, the altar will be open. You can come or you can be where you are in your seat. Whatever God leads you to do, you make your decision today and give him the glory with it. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, we thank you that in this world of heartache and difficulty and sorrow and sadness, you offer real, true, tangible, experiential joy. But it has to come through Jesus. It comes by trusting Him as our Savior. We enter into that walk and that relationship. And then, Father, it must come as believers continue to surrender their hearts and minds to You on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. And, Father, seek Your face. Not trying to understand their circumstances, not trying to mold, but, Lord, just trusting You. Help us, Lord, to understand. Help us to find joy, we ask in Jesus' name. As we sing and as we pray, the altar is open. You come as God leads.